there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. My name's John, I'm one of the pastors here along with Pete. It's uh, great to welcome you into church this morning. Um, just as, uh, as we've been worshipping today, I've just felt overwhelmed by all that God's doing for us here. And um, when we're singing, just this is a move. Do you believe we are experiencing a move of God? We are experiencing it. Uh, and we're seeing, we're seeing God move in so many, many remarkable ways. And uh, I, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be part of this church uh, and particularly today, uh, I just want to thank the whole worship team for all that they do for us, the way that they serve week after week, the hours of practice they put in, the songwriting skills that they've got. They do it for God's glory, not their own glory. And um, it's just great to, to come to a church where we have people that lead with a gentle, Holy Spirit-led anointing uh, without any question of trying to push themselves onto the stage. A lot of people are on this stage reluctantly, and I think that's the, the way that, that God wants it to be in many ways. He, he honors a, a real humble heart. Um, I'm conscious today that we've, we've spent a long, long time uh, this year kind of digging into the Ten Commandments. And uh, I certainly, you'll be pleased to hear, although I've called what I'm going to share with you, the Ten Commandments, what happens next. I'm certainly concentrating today on the what happens next bit, not on the, the Ten Commandments bit, because I think we've, we've unpacked them a lot this year. We've, we've dug really quite deep. Uh, sometimes I think it's been a, a really anointed series of teaching. Um, but we're, we're just going through a, a few weeks now where we're just trusting as, as a preaching team. Uh, that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. Uh, we've got baptism next week, uh, which is amazing, and it's still not too late, is it? To No, it's not too late to, uh, uh, to get baptized. So see Pete or myself or anybody afterwards, if you, if you really feel God prompting you. Perhaps after I've preached, it might be that God just somehow puts his, his finger on that in your life. But we've got baptism next week. But we're, we're in a really lovely season at the moment where, where we're just sensing that we're, we're seeking God uh, the preachers are going to be preaching things laid on their heart for the next few weeks. Uh, and we're just trusting that this is actually going to be a, a special season for us as well in the life of the church. Uh, and being somewhat of a traditionalist, I have to say it is nice to be here this morning. Um, so, uh, yeah, bless you all for being here today. So, um, basically, I um, am really conscious that we've, we've dug into um, the Ten Commandments. And I don't want to prolong that series uh, and, but as I was thinking about what to preach about today, as I was preparing, God led me to a passage, uh, and one or two verses in particular really leapt out at me. Uh, and, and as soon as I read them, I just thought, no, that's, that's what I've got to share the next time I'm preaching. It's from, uh, we're going to be looking at, at a passage of Scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, which is in the, the old part of the, the Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, it's, it's an interesting um, book because it effectively uh, it concludes the story of Moses' life. Um, Deuteronomy ends 
with the Israelites, the, the, this nation set aside by God that had had all of these experiences uh, of being taken into slavery and captivity, of being released from captivity, of wandering in the desert for 40 years. Uh, and, and Deuteronomy brings the story of the, the, the children of Israel right to the very edge of the River Jordan. And, and in the next book in the Bible, which is Joshua, we read the story of them crossing the Jordan, entering the promised land. But Deuteronomy is, if you like, the conclusion of a, of a really long and significant period in their, their life. The first few chapters of Deuteronomy uh, record the words that Moses spoke to the people just before they were going to go into the promised land. Moses gives them fresh instructions. Uh, he repeats certain laws. He reminds them uh, of the laws that God had given. And in particular, Moses recaps the story of what has happened to them since they were freed from Egypt. And it's very important in the life of, of our church and in, in our Christian walks, it's important for us to go back and remind ourselves constantly of what God has done for us. Sometimes, you know, we can come to church and we can we can just take for granted that this is how we do things now, where just kind of eight short years ago, there were 11 of us meeting in a, in a pub just, uh, you know, a couple of hundred yards down the road. And, and we need to tell these stories. We re need to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. And that's what Moses did. He was 120 years old at the time, but he, he had the strength of a young man. Um, but he knew, he knew he was not going to enter the promised land himself. It wasn't because of any sin that Moses had committed. It was actually because of the way the people had let God down. And Moses so many times interceded for the people. And at one stage, God said, okay, I'm going to forgive them. But actually, Moses, the price to be paid is that you are not going to actually enter the promised land yourself. So Moses knew they were about to go in there. He knew he wasn't going to enter the promised land. So he effectively knew that he was just about to die. So when we, when we look at this story, the words that Moses shares are quite poignant because this is his last opportunity to speak to the people he's led for 40 years. So he encourages them, he blesses them, he challenges them, and these words have a heavy weight because of the circumstances that Moses is in. Um, so we're going to read uh, some chapters that I've chosen from Chapter, uh, some verses from chapters 9 and 10, uh, and this is Moses recounting the story, and this is where it links to us, about the Ten Commandments. And uh, we have to realize that, that actually there were two sets of stones that the Ten Commandments were written on. The first ones were destroyed, which we're just going to read about, and then God gave Moses a second set, and those are the ones that were in the Ark of the Covenant, which was rescued by Indiana Jones. In the, no, no, it wasn't rescued by Indiana Jones, but those are the tablets that were in the, the Ark of the Covenant where, where we read about that. So let's just read these, uh, these verses together, first from Deuteronomy 9. This is Moses speaking to the people, and he says, when I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and I drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. 
At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then, carrying on, dust through the, yeah, great. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. So in the 40 days, they became corrupt because Moses wasn't there with them. They've turned away quickly from what I commanded them, and they've made an idol for themselves. And the Lord said to me, I've seen this people. They are a stiff-necked people indeed. That means stubborn. Let me alone. This is God speaking to Moses. Let me alone so I can destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will actually make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than you. That's an offer God was giving to Moses. He was actually saying right there and then, look, I'll just wipe this lot out, but you'll stay here, Moses, and I'm going to do something even greater for you. That's quite amazing, isn't it? I'll make them more numerous than you. Moses says, I turned, I went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You'd made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets, I threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. If you read the rest of the story, Moses just didn't break them to pieces. He ground them into dust and he actually made them drink water with the dust of the tablets in. Anyway, we're not going to cover all of that bit. So we're going to get into uh, chapter 10 now, please, Daz. So Moses continues the story a little bit. And then he says this, still addressing the people. At that time, the Lord said to me, chisel out two stone tablets like the first one. So Moses had interceded for the people and God had changed his mind. He said, I won't wipe them out. And God then says to Moses, look, get me two more stone tablets like the first ones. Also make me a wooden ark. That's a box. A bit more than a box, but you know what I mean. It's where the covenant, uh, a really nice box, yeah. A nice box, yeah. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and then you are to put them in the ark. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hands, and the Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain, I put the tablets in the ark I had made, as the Lord commanded me, and they are there now. Now, I had stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So that's a story, and then these are the verses which leapt out to me, and I really felt I needed to speak to you about today. These next um, two verses. Go, the Lord said to me, lead the people, I'll give them the land. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Those two verses really 
leapt out. It seemed to me that, that after uh, Moses had got these commandments, he'd, he'd got the second set of stones, he'd got somewhere to keep them stay safe, it, it's almost as, as if Moses is saying, right, we've now got these com- commandments. At long last, we've got them in a safe place. I've brought them down the mountain. You haven't sinned again. And it's almost like he's saying, what are we going to do with these commandments? What's next? How do you actually apply them? And Moses gives five really practical commandments. Can we go on to the next slide, guys? I've just highlighted them there. And these are the five things that Moses says. You've got to fear the Lord, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve him, and to observe or to obey his commandments. So I'm going to, for the rest of this message, I just want to look at these five points. Now, because there are five, this is really a kind of very high-level, uh, you know, cursory glance at them. Each one of these could be a message in their own. They could possibly even be a series in their own. So we're looking at a very, very kind of, oh, not superficial, but, but at one level. And I'm looking particularly um, at one aspect of what it means. And I'm conscious that there are many, many other interpretations, many other things that could be said. But as I prepared this, these are the, um, the points that I believe God laid on my heart to share today. For each point, I've just got a simple scripture to help illustrate it. So we're going to look at these points uh, one by one. So the first one, Daz, is fear God. Fear God. That's a bit strange in a way, isn't it? Fear God. Well, Lord, you created me. You, you tell me you love me. Why do you want me to be fearful of you? The Bible mentions fearing God quite a lot if you, if you, you kind of do a search on it. It's not a matter, I don't believe, of in any way being scared of God. I don't think the fear of the Lord means actually being frightened of him. It's more to do with remembering exactly who he is and realizing that we do come before a holy God. Years ago, uh, I mean particularly like before all of our time, in Victorian times in particular, there were some, um, there were some really great preachers back in the day. Uh, if any of you were at the, uh, the Soul in the Machine, uh, not Soul in the Machine, that's a different uh, musical. If any of you were at uh, It Is Well With My Soul on Thursday night, you'll have seen a depiction of one of the old Victorian preachers called D.L. Moody. He was an American preacher uh, and he actually came to England. Uh, there, there were other preachers, uh, one in particular called Spurgeon, who were, were renowned. And these guys had huge followings in their time. But they were what we would call old-style fire and brimstone preachers. They preached about hell more than they preached about heaven, it seemed to me. They, they, they got people convicted of their sins, of their desperate, wretched state. Pe- people were, were just coming under conviction and feeling totally wretched and terrible and woe is me. Uh, And, you know, you might have heard that expression, they put the fear of God into them. Those preachers put the fear of God into the people that were listening to them. Now, we don't kind of do that very much this day and age, not just Springs Church, but most of the churches in this country you could go to today, and you're not going to hear too many kind of hell and damnation type messages getting out there. Today, 
I ask you a question. Do we sometimes not concentrate enough on the fact that our God is pure, is holy, is awesome, is righteous, and is just? Do we sometimes, dare I say, approach God in a a matey, slap-happy fashion? Are there times where we need to just take a, a moment to think, who are we actually speaking to and in what way are we addressing him? Now, Jesus, when he prays, he calls his father Abba. And, and the closest translation to that is Daddy. Jesus called his heavenly father Daddy. That's lovely. And, and actually, when I pray, I haven't got yet to the stage in my own walk with God where I, I call him Daddy. I do call him Father. But, but for me... That intimacy of that word daddy, it's, it's not reserved for Jesus. I don't think it's wrong. I have heard other people use that. So he wants us to have that wonderfully pure, loving relationship. When you call your dad daddy, you're not frightened of him. You're not scared of him. But there's something really beautiful about it. But we need to concentrate on the fact that we are to have that close, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father but we're also never to take for granted the privilege of speaking to the holy God that threw the stars into the sky, that created everything on it, that created us uh, in a wonderful way. Um, can I have the next scripture? This is the verse that I want to share on this point with you guys that came to me. It's from the Psalms. And it says this, and I think this is helpful. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. In other words, if you're fearful of God, you're becoming a bit wise. In other words, if you're not taking God too much for granted, but you're really awesomely respecting and acknowledging He is a holy God, you're beginning to get a little bit of wisdom. That's really helpful, isn't it? Can you see that the, the, the psalm helps to put into context what it means to fear God? It's not so much the fear of God himself, but actually the fear of not being in relationship with him. It's the fear of missing out on the blessings that you could have if you're not where you should be with him. It's the fear of not living life to the full. It's the fear of missing out on his best, on his promises. It's the fear of missing out on his protection. Now, God... Being God still blesses us. He still protects us. He still provides for us, even when we're far away from him. Even when we're not particularly fearful of him, where we're not really giving him the honor and the respect that he's due, he still does those things for us. But I believe the more we get our relationship with God right, on the one hand, the loving Heavenly Father who absolutely adores us and thinks we're fabulous and is actually happy for us to be so close to Him that we can call Him Daddy. But on the other hand, the God who sits in the throne in heaven surrounded by the angels and the cherubim uh, who judges, who is holy and pure and cannot tolerate anything that's not perfectly pure in His presence. That's the conundrum, isn't it? That relationship that we have with God. Can you see the two sides of the coin? And the fear of the Lord helps us come to that understanding of that second aspect of our 
relationship with God. And when we get that right, that's when he can absolutely open the floodgates of heaven because he knows that we're honoring and respecting him. Okay, next point, us will never get through. Walk in his ways. Walk in his ways. What did Moses mean by that? Now, I have to say straight away, I know that, that walking in God's ways could undoubtedly relate to guidance, okay? It could, it could be, um, I could talk to you to, today about going where God leads, uh, seeking God out before you make a decision, seeking the paths that God's chosen for you, but I want to look at a completely different aspect to walking in his ways, and I believe it's actually more akin to what Moses was talking about, because I want to just look briefly at walking in the way that Jesus himself did in all aspects of our Christian lives. You know, the first example we should ever look to is always Jesus. It's like the Sunday school quizzes, the right answer is always Jesus, no matter what the question is. We always have to look at Jesus first and foremost. And as I was looking at this, I came across a lovely expression uh, which I want to share with you, and I hope you can kind of remember and treasure this, because I, I, I think it's just a wonderful way of describing it. I read this. Jesus walked humbly and lightly through this earth. Jesus walked humbly and lightly through this earth. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that he didn't make an incredible impact on the world. The impact of Jesus is the, the, the greatest impact that any one individual human being has ever had on the world. So he made an impact, but he still walked humbly and lightly. The way I look at it is he didn't leave too many physical footprints. He didn't do any damage to the world. He, he, he somehow treasured and valued the world. And he kind of held the things of the world in a light grasp. Uh, and this is the character and the nature of Jesus that, that I love and I desire to be more like. And if I'm honest, it's part of the character of Jesus that, that I, I struggle with more than almost any other aspect. You know, you know the loving aspect, the, the kindness aspect, you know, I can get but this kind of being humble and, and holding things lightly is, is, is not easy. Now, the, the, when I look, if you'll excuse the pun, there is an absolute wealth of verses in the Bible about wealth. Okay? I, I could have chosen many, the teachings of Jesus about what it means to hold things lightly. But as I was prepping, this one verse dropped into my mind, um, which I, I want to share with you about this. Uh, and it's poignant to me. This is from Matthew, where Jesus is talking to the people about what he has. And he says this, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man... That's Jesus himself, has no place to lay his head. Jesus walked through this world with no place of his own, really. Jesus, the very son of the almighty God that we've just been considering how holy and glorious and wonderful he is, was born in a filthy, stinking stable. He never owned anything of value at all. I would imagine that, that Jesus was a bit like King Charles. He, he didn't carry very much money with him. I don't think he, he might have had a few coppers with it. You know, can you imagine Jesus having a big money? No, he actually had somebody that looked after the money for him, didn't he? <laughs> Who uh, dipped his hand in the, the, the funds every now and then. But that's a, another story. 
a different story. He never owned any property. I guess his dad gave him some tools to, to work in the carpenter's shop, but they were inherited, and he probably left them in the, in the shop when he went out on his ministry. He, he basically, I imagine, had a pair of sandals, one outfit, uh, perhaps a staff. He might have, might have walked with a staff, I don't know. But that would have been about it. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem um, when he was being acclaimed by the crowds. He was the poorest man in material terms that you could ever have. I don't think you could actually have much less materially than Jesus did. You know, he'd, he'd have had, with all respect, he'd have almost had to walk about naked to have less than he had. He literally only really had the clothes on his back. Yet, in terms of relationship with God, he was the richest man that ever lived, wasn't he? He was the richest man in terms of his relationship, but as poor as anybody's ever been. And that's the way Jesus chose to walk through this world, humbly and lightly. And that's a high challenge, isn't it? That's a, that's a, a, a high bar. Now, now uh, as an individual, as a church, we're not against wealth. You know, we, we don't kind of preach prosperity ministry. We don't really feel very comfortable about that. But you know, God blesses us, God's blessing us as a church, uh, and there's nothing wrong with, with material possessions, but boy, Jesus himself said, it's the one thing you've got to handle more carefully than anything else, uh, and we are, I know, uh, fairly soon in the life of the church, we're going to be going back to a new series about living in a generous way. We, we had a series a few years ago, but it's, it's something that's laid on our hearts for this, this next season, I, I believe. Uh, we will be talking and teaching a lot more about these issues. Uh, but uh, it's something that we, we need to be challenged about constantly. Okay, next point that Moses said, you've got these Ten Commandments, how do you apply them? Well, pretty straightforward one now, love God. Moses says to love God. I, I feel we've, we've covered this quite a bit in the life of Springs Church. It's a, one of our core values uh, is love. Um, one of our mantras that we've banged on about for, for years has been love God, love people. But what does it really mean to love God? You know, it's easy to say. What does it mean to love God? Um, one of the old hymns, uh, a Wesley hymn, has a great line where, where it talks about um, the experience that, that the writer will have when he eventually gets to heaven. And he talks about casting his crown before God and saying, you know, I'm going to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And that's just a wonderful kind of illustration of, of, of when, we, when we finally get to heaven, what is it going to be like? Well, I don't really know what it's going to be like, but I do believe we will be lost in wonder, love, and praise. We've had some great worship today. Some of you, perhaps, have you got a little bit lost in worship today? I hope you have. I hope you know what it is to be so concentrating on God that actually you're not thinking about whether you've got your Sunday dinner in, that you're not thinking about what you've got to do tomorrow. You're not thinking about, you know, is that kid running up and down the aisle? You're not thinking about, well, I don't really know the words to this song or this tune doesn't apply. You're so overwhelmed by God that you can be lost a little bit in worship. And, and we have those times as a church, and, that, and they're precious to us, and God treasures them ourselves. 
But the type of love again that Jesus had wasn't just about being lost in worship. The verse I've chosen for this point is this one. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love that Jesus had for God led to his death. It was because of his love for his father that he he came in the first place and he came to die for each and every one of us. This week, I, I finally got around to watching the, the new film, All Quiet on the Western Front. It's a hard watch. It's a hard watch. It's a great film. I'd recommend it um, if you really want to learn a little bit more um, about that situation. For me, I found it incredibly moving. Um, anything to do with the First World War kind of impacts on me uh, because it was total and utter pointless carnage. Uh, but my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, was actually wounded on the Somme in the First World War, and he was uh, invalided out of the army. He didn't last many days on the Somme before he was struck, and uh, all of his life he still carried around the, the shrapnel that was stuck in his shoulder that they couldn't get out at the time. He was invalided out of the war, and he was one of the lucky ones. Um, the film itself is mainly about the futility of war, how pointless it is, how utterly, utterly pointless and, and terrible war is. But there's quite a lot in the film as well about sacrificing on behalf of others, on laying your life down, um, being prepared to make that sacrifice for the love of other people. It's been said before, but it's true. You could perhaps just begin to understand a little bit about whether you may die for a person you deeply love. I'm sure some parents would, would lay their lives down for their kids. I'm sure they would. But to lay your life down for a total stranger is a different thing, isn't it? But that's what Jesus did. Well, yes, we were strangers. No, we weren't strangers. He knew who it was he was laying his life down for. But you know what I'm, I'm saying there? And the love that Moses was saying to the people is that, you know, you've got my commandments. You're going to go into this promised land, and, and I want you to love God. He wasn't saying, every week, let's have a wonderful praise party, and let's have a great time, and we're all going to feel wonderful and on cloud nine when we walk out of church. Great as that may be, he was saying, love God to the point that you're prepared to lay your own life down. It's so important for you that your love for him is so immense that you'd be prepared to give up everything for him. Again, a very, very high standard. Can we have the next one? Because we need to rattle. I will get through these quickly, I promise you. Moses said, serve God. We'll do with these last two points more quickly, I believe. I'm convinced more and more that every single person who considers themselves a Christian is obligated to demonstrate God's love by serving those God's care for. We are called as Christians to serve the lost, the lonely, the poor, the bereaved. Now, I want to make it clear, we never, ever earn our way into heaven. God doesn't say, become a Christian, work really hard, do lots of good stuff, and at the end of the day, if you've been good enough, you'll get into heaven. It don't work like that. It does not work like that at all. You can't earn your way into heaven. 
The sacrifice that Jesus made was all and sufficient. If you want to be sure that you're going to heaven when you die, you just put your trust in Jesus. It's as simple as that. But our response to our own salvation, our response to accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior and granting us eternal life is that we then, as, as a response to God's love, we, God puts on our heart the fact that we need to serve and help other people. As a church, I think you probably know this, but perhaps not. When we, we do quite a lot of community stuff, you, you, we talk about Hope House a lot and we talk about other things that we do to serve. As a church, I, I'm going to share this with you, uh, and you, you may have heard this before, but, but we have, ever since we've gone, been challenged in two areas. We are particularly, as a church, challenged on the areas of, of poverty and loneliness those are, the, those are the lenses that we kind of look through when we consider whether we should undertake certain projects. Now, there are lots of other good things that we could do, and it could very well be in the future that, that God brings people into the church family here, and we, we look at other aspects of service. But, but for now and for the last few years, we've been looking at uh, poverty and loneliness as being, you know, if it ticks those boxes, then it's something we need to get our hands dirty doing. And and there are loads of opportunities to serve in this church. And I'm so proud um, in the right way of the fact that we give people opportunities to serve. Uh, and this is why we do it. This verse is the one I've chosen to illustrate this point. Jesus was speaking and he says this. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. When we serve, we're effectively serving Jesus. That's what he says to us. So when those of you that volunteer in the, in the grocery store get in and you're handing out packages of food from the grocery store to the people that need it, you're effectively handing out that food to Jesus. Do you realize that? When, you, when you're giving of your love and your time, it's as if you are doing it to Jesus you're also doing it for Jesus because we are called to be Jesus' hands, his feet, and his mouth. He can't do it without us. It's an incredible privilege and yet an awesome responsibility. So I just simply want to urge you today, if you want to know what's next when we've gone through the Ten Commandments, get involved in serving. And I'm going to let you into a huge secret that you already know it's the most rewarding thing you can do do you know that when you serve people it is more fulfilling more satisfying more rewarding than anything i genuinely believe than anything else you can do in your life no matter what other things bring you joy and satisfaction the privilege of serving is is just up there guys so i want to really urge you there are so many opportunities, there's so many needs. Get involved in serving God through demonstrating his love to people. And right, we've got there nearly. The last point is obey God. I'm certainly not going to talk too much about this because we've spent a long time talking about obeying the Ten Commandments. Uh, but what I do want to just say is simply this. Obeying God is directly linked to the spiritual, to the ethical, and to the moral decisions and choices that you make every day. 
Every day, you will be presented with a choice, and your choice will be, I can go this way, which would be in obedience to God, or I can go another way, and actually it's because I'm satisfying myself rather than obeying God. We actually get those choices. They're not obvious. It's not, it's not a straightforward thing, but, but every time we, we choose to spend a penny of our money, every time we choose to watch whatever we're going to watch on the television, every time we, we open our newspapers, every time we... we dis- whatever we do, we're making a spiritual, an ethical, or a moral choice. Now, obeying God doesn't happen overnight. The, the great thing is that we mature in this as we grow as Christians, we mature, and it, it, it becomes not necessarily easier to, to obey God, but it's something that we do. And, and as we mature, we begin to produce fruit as well because we obey God. We don't obey God because we're frightened of him or even because it's our duty. We do it because we want to please and we want to delight God. And also because we don't want things to get in the way of our relationship with him. That's why we need to be obedient. We don't want anything to upset our relationship with God, but we do it from from love and from delight, not from fear and duty. And the final thing about obeying God is whenever we fall, he will always be there to pick us up and to forgive us. Um, This last verse that I chose is, is as simple as it possibly can be, and we're going to end with this today. If you love me, keep my commands. That's where we come full circle to going back to the Ten Commandments. So I hope you haven't minded this kind of follow-on to the series that we've done. Um, The commandments are so important, but they need to be applied in our lives. And, And I believe that these words from Moses about fearing God, about walking in his ways, about loving God, about serving God, about obeying God. This is how we grow as a church. This is how we grow as individuals. This is how we come into a deeper relationship with God. Um, It might just be that that one of these points today has kind of particularly kind of tickled your ears or or the Holy Spirit has has nudged you about something. I don't know, but, but God does, and it's between you and God. So I want us to just have a, a moment of prayer uh, as we, we conclude this part of the service and just before I hand back to the band, um, just to give you the opportunity to respond. Um, and I also want to give you the opportunity to respond to the very gospel message of Jesus today. So um, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you you don't lead us, leave us without a guide in our lives. You, you guide us through your Holy Spirit. You guide us through the example of Jesus. You guide us through your word. There's so many resources we can lean on. And we thank you um, for the commandments that you gave us. And we thank you that there's so many ways that we can unpack them. As we just look today at those five Um, deep but simple points that that Moses suggested to the people that they should do. Perhaps one or more of them has really spoken to us. Perhaps you've challenged us about our love for you. Perhaps you've actually said your your love's a bit shallow and just lose yourself more in me, get deep with me. Perhaps you've been challenged about your attitude towards material things. I don't know. Perhaps God's talking to you about serving him in a new way. Or perhaps he actually today wants to confirm 
It is me speaking to you, and that is something I want you to get involved in. Hear that from the Holy Spirit, if that's what he's saying. Perhaps you've needed to be reminded about the fact that our God is a holy God, a pure God. Perhaps we've been too casual in our relationship with him, taking him for granted too much. Perhaps being blunt, there are just some areas where you've been plain disobedient and God's again put his finger on it. I don't know. Just take a moment in your own heart to respond to God. To ask him yet again to pick you up and dust you down and to forgive you and to restore you and to mould you into the person he wants you to be and to fill you with his Holy Spirit afresh. Just come Holy Spirit. But perhaps today you've, you've been coming to church a while, I don't know, you've heard the stories before, but just something has spoken to you about the person and the character of Jesus, the way he lived his life, the sacrifice he made. We've spoken a lot about him today, and perhaps today you want to really make a commitment to follow him. We want to we give you that opportunity to totally put your trust in Jesus today. I'm going to ask you to, if you want to do that, because I want to pray for you, if, if you want to do that, uh, we're not going to embarrass you at all, but if, if right now you feel that you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, just look, look me in the eye now and uh, I can pray for you if there's anybody here. Thank you. Thank you, I know. I know. Bless you. Okay. Let's just pray. Father, we, we thank you that for, for some of us, when we hear the gospel message, we we always want to keep on responding. Um, Father, we, we know that salvation is, is a once and forever thing, but, but we come to you where we want to pray yet again to recommit ourselves to Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, we, we want to follow you more closely. We want to be nearer to you than ever before. I pray, Father, that will be our, case. That'll, that'll be our experience, that we will know what it is when we leave this place to walk with you in the way you walked. Thank you for speaking to us today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.